All right, it's good to be here. How about we stand to our feet just for a few minutes, let you stretch and uh, get the blood moving again. I want to share a verse, this is not part of the message tonight, but uh, something I do want to share with you, found in the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter number 13. Paul writes some interesting things here. He says, though I speak with tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. He says in verse 2, listen to this, and though I have gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and knowledge, and though I have all faith so I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. What is charity tonight? Help me out. That's love. I like to go a little bit further with it. It's love in action. It's something that you do. And Paul's like, hey, I can speak, you know, the, the language of angels. I can do all of these things. But if I don't have charity, I am nothing. You know, we can have a lot of things in this life. But if we don't show charity to those that don't have our Lord Jesus Christ, really, we're, we're nothing. Something to think about tonight. And I have a seat. Yeah, that's okay. I just wanted to stretch for a minute. Um, we're in the Faith Promise Conference. And I'll be using that in just a second, brother, when I start Roman. I've got it right here, ready to go. And this is the Faith Promise Commitment Card. And I shared this in the 11 o'clock Sunday School. This is a very simple thing. Uh, you say, what is, what is our missions giving? What is this Faith Promise all about? Maybe some of you are new to it. It's simple. It, this is God's way for God's people to do God's business. Isn't that good? Say that with me. Faith Promise Missions is God's way... For God's people to do God's business. One more time. This is God's way for God's people to do God's business. Now let me ask you this. How many of God's people do we have in here today? Any God's people? Well, amen. Well, this is our business to do for Him. Amen. Occupy till He comes doesn't mean have a seat in the pew. It means to be busy about the Lord's business. And, you know, you think about... Um, Back in World War II, I like to read read about that time. And it's amazing, after the Japanese attacked Pearl Harbor uh, and war was declared upon Japan, it wasn't just soldiers that were sent. Everybody got involved. You read about it, and people had victory gardens, so the troops could have more. Uh, children were going around neighborhoods looking for scrap that could be melted down into bullets from, from youngest to oldest. Everybody was involved. And because everybody was involved, a great victory was wrought during the time of World War II. Amen? Amen. And you think about this ISIS thing going on today. Man, imagine if we got involved Right now, like we were involved in World War II, it would be over very quickly. And you think about the church in the 50s and 60s, the mission movement really started taking off. And, and in our churches, everybody was involved from oldest, from oldest to youngest. Everybody had a hand. Now you look at, you know, you look at the country now. And you look at the wars that we've had since World War II. 
And I'm not saying the sacrifice of those men and women were any less than in, uh, in, in World War II. But the fact of the matter is, in Korea, in Vietnam, and all the other things that we have been involved with, the fact is, the whole country has not been involved. Are you with me? And the church has followed what our country has done in this area of missions. See, what we do now is in many churches, we just send a few soldiers to make ourselves feel better. And we don't really get involved in this thing of missions. And what I want to challenge us to do tonight is to ask God, and I challenged both classes earlier, ask God this week, God, what more can we do for you? Amen. And it's not just a matter of the of the of the wallet and what we're giving, but as a soldier of Jesus Christ, how can I more get involved in this war effort to do something for my Lord and my God? God, what more can I do? Paul says I can do a lot of things, but if I don't have this one thing, charity, which he says is the greatest of faith and hope, charity, he said if I don't have this, I am nothing. And so our faith promise missions giving is simply, say it with me again, God's way for God's people to do God's business. And I know this church has done a very good job in, in years gone by in doing God's business. There's no doubt about that. The sacrifice of this church is known. And I think it would be a good thing, though, if we would ask God, God, what more can we do? Maybe God will ask one of you to step inside the offering plate yourself and give yourself to go somewhere like Spain or, or another country like that. Amen? So I would just encourage you, have your hearts open to what God would have you to do this week. I appreciate this opportunity to be here. As the brother said, I am nobody. So for me to get to be here, I really appreciate it, Pastor. And Brother uh, Nathan has done a tremendous job organizing everything and and I got to tell you, brother, I'm not trying to butter your bread, but as far as staying in contact with the missionaries, they've done a great job, made it very easy on us. So thank you for your hard work. And um, I enjoy the music here already. I, heard, I saw some violins practicing. Is that going to happen this week? I don't know if that's special. That was awesome earlier, man. That was really good. We had a piano player in the Philippines. Her name was Elma. And just a side note, she swallowed her teeth one time. I had to buy her new teeth. And, um, but Elma was somebody that couldn't play the piano, but she played the piano. And it was one of those situations you knew she was doing it for the Lord. And it was one of those joyful noise type of things, you know, and I didn't want to tell her, Elma, I'm sorry, we can't have you play the piano. And, uh, and I don't know why she would do it. I would beg her not to. But when I would pray or somebody would pray for the offering, she would play like this spooky music. I'm like, what is that? Please don't do that. And then one day, our church keyboard died. And I was like, praise God. And so... We were having our announcements, and our church is very interactive in the Philippines. And so one of the men said, Pastor, 
do we have money to buy a new keyboard? And I lied. I did have money. Um, and I said, no, sorry, Ka'ayu. Well, let me court that. We have no money. And this little girl from the back who lives in a block house has nothing. She raised her hand. I said, yes, best door. Tears running down her face. God wants me to give my keyboard to the church. And I was thinking, no! <laughs> and the next week, Elma was back in business. And so, whenever I get to a church that has good music, I am very appreciative of it. Amen? And you guys have that here. And so, I started praying that God would take Elma home. No, I'm kidding. No, I am um, <laughs> So, I was not the right pastor for her because I know about this much about music. Amen? I know good music when I hear it, but as far as arranging it and that kind of stuff, I need help. And But anyways, good to be here. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to the book of Psalms, chapter number 142. Psalms, chapter number 142. And this has become my favorite psalm in the Bible. David is writing of an account when he was hiding in a cave from King Saul. You ever think about the time when David got anointed to be king over Israel, what that must have been like? I mean, that oil is running down your head, and you know you're going to be the next king. And uh, I've often thought, what would that be like knowing I'm going to be the next king? And you don't have to forgive me. I'm, I'm carnal. I would, I was, I thought about. I would have two guys with big leaves fanning me, you know, while I'm sitting on the throne, and this other dude feeding me grapes. And then I was going to order one of those chariots, you know, with a blade on the wheel, so I could zip through everybody else's chariot. And those are the kind of things I would think about if I got to be the next king. And I don't know what went through David's mind the day uh, Samuel anointed him. But I'm sure the last thing on David's agenda was this cold, dark, damp cave hiding for his life. But yet, this is where David finds himself, and he tells us this story. In verse number 1 of Psalms 142, look at this with me. He says, I cried unto the Lord with my voice. And with my voice unto the Lord did I make my supplication. Now notice with me, David is just not just praying to the Lord. He is crying out. You know, I used to think prayer and, and crying out were synonymous with each other. But the more I look at it, I think there's a little bit of a difference there. Let me illustrate. Let's say my 11-year-old Matthew was here tonight. And after the service, Pastor and I are having a conversation. And Matthew come up and interrupted us. I would say, Matthew, you need to wait a minute. Pastor and I are talking. I'll get to you in a moment. But let's say for Pastor and I are having that same conversation. And from somewhere outside or in the back, my son screams, Dad, I am going to forget Pastor. Amen. And I'm going to find out what the needs of my son are. And here David is not just praying. He is crying out to God. He is in a season in his life where things are not going according to plan and he's trying to get the attention of the Lord. And as I, if you were in the Sunday school this morning, we, we know because we have been saved, we can go boldly to that throne room of grace. And in verse number two, I like what David does here. He says, I poured out my complaint before him. I showed before him 
my trouble. Uh, you know, he, ha he had some major problems going on. And oftentimes when we get into seasons in our life that we don't understand what is going on, for some reason, God is the last one that we seem to go to. I mean, we'll turn the TV on and find what Oprah has to say, or we'll talk to Dr. Phil, and God is the last one we go to. But may I say this, He is our Savior, and even though He knows about the problems before they arrive, He still wants to hear from His children about what is going on in our lives. Are you with me tonight? Say amen. It's like my son and my, my children. When they have a problem, they're more than welcome to go talk to our home pastor. But you know what? I don't want them talking to the home pastor first. I want them talking to me because I am dad. Amen? And here David is crying out to his father in heaven. He's like, God, I'm in trouble. And in verse number three, he says this, When my spirit was overwhelmed within me. Have you ever been to the point of overwhelmed in your life? Overwhelmed, as I mentioned earlier today, is not checking the mailbox for three days because you're afraid of what might be inside it. Overwhelmed is that place where you're not taking any telephone calls. Overwhelmed is that place in your life where you're like, Dear God, I cannot take one more problem. I have had enough. If one more issue comes into my life, I am done. I am through. I can't take anymore. That's where David is. He is overwhelmed. He says, Then thou knewest my path in the way wherein I have walked. I, I, they have privily laid a snare for me. Not only is David overwhelmed, but now David feels trapped. Nothing worse than uh, feeling trapped. Uh, uh, in the Philippines, if you come to see me, I'll take you scuba diving and we can go into this Japanese freighter that was sunk by one of our warships. Pretty, pretty neat. And you can get yourself into some places in that trip, in that ship where you feel trapped and it's not the most comfortable feeling in the world. And so not only is David overwhelmed, but now David feels trapped. He feels like, man, it doesn't matter if I go over here to the left, if I go to the right, if I go forward, if I go backwards. It doesn't matter what I seem to do. Everything is not going right. And I feel like I'm trapped. Have you been there? So he's overwhelmed. He feels trapped. And let's go on and see what else he says about this time in the cave. Saul is hot on his heels. He says in verse number 4, I looked on my right hand and beheld there was no man that would know me. Refuge failed me. No man cared for my soul. So not only does David feel like uh, he's overwhelmed and he's trapped, he's at the place in his life where he feels like, you know what, there is just nobody that cares about me. And can I say this to you tonight? I don't believe that was true in the life of David, that nobody cared for his soul. We know in other places in God's Word that David had mighty men who in a moment's notice would sacrifice their life for David if a javelin had been thrown by Saul. We know that David had a father back in Bethlehem who loved his son very much. But the fact of the matter is, sometimes when we get into those seasons of life where we feel like we're in a cave, we feel like God is not listening, we feel trapped, we feel overwhelmed, we believe the lie of the devil, and we believe that sometimes that, man, there is just nobody that understands, nobody cares about me. 
And that's where David finds himself as he tells us about this experience in the cave. Brother, what is your name? Mike. Mike? I need Mike's help tonight. You don't have to get up. You don't have to go anywhere. But... I'm going to use Mike as an illustration. Now, Pastor has told me nothing about Brother Mike. I know nothing about him at all. You're fortunate. Okay, good deal. <laughs> Maybe I should have chose somebody else other than Mike for my illustration. I don't know. He's but let's pretend tonight. Now, this is just pretend, okay? This is not true. But let's pretend tonight Mike has no friends. Let's pretend nobody likes Mike. Let's pretend Mike is one of those people in the world. Nobody cares for his soul. Now, I know that's not true because I know this pastor well enough that there's at least one man here that cares for his soul. Amen? But that's for sake of illustration, Mike, I'd say that's true. Nobody cared for your soul. If that was true a Brother Mike, can I submit to you this In the grand scheme of things, nobody cares about you. Everything would still be okay. See, what happens is when we get into the cave, we take off our glasses of faith. How does the Bible say we're supposed to walk? We are to walk by what? Faith, Faith, not by sight. But oftentimes when we get into the cave... We remove our glasses of faith and we start trying to feel our way out of the cave. And when we start trying to feel our way out of the cave, what happens is we start banging our head against the sides of the cave and we get bruised and bloodied and sometimes and battered because we're, we're trying to see our way out and that's not what God intended. And so David, for a moment, is in the cave. He is overwhelmed. He feels trapped. He feels like nobody cares. But then in his psalm, David remembers something, Mike, that tells us in the grand scheme of things, everything's going to be all right. Look in verse number five. He said there, I cried unto thee, O Lord, and said, Thou art my, what's that next word? Refuge. Thou art my refuge. Bring my and, uh, and, he, and he says, I'm tender to my cry. And then in verse 7, he says, Bring my soul out of prison. And he says, For thou shalt deal bountifully with me. See, David is in the cave, overwhelmed, trapped, feels like there's nobody that cares for a while. Perhaps those glasses of faith were off. But then he remembers, Hey, there is a God in heaven who really does care about me and that's the title of this tonight's message is that is this god really does care and sometimes it becomes cliche in our circles but i'm going to tell you tonight is not cliche when we're in those caves or we're out of the cave god cares about us amen god really cares about us and like verse 7 says god will deal bountifully with us So, it's important to remember, if God really cares, we need to keep those glasses of faith on when we're in the cave and trust Him for whatever the outcome may be. We originally went to the Philippines in 2003, learned the language of Cebuano, and after that we started Lighthouse Baptist Church in the city of Turil. 
And today that church is pastored by a young man named Gospel. And, and great, great name for a pastor, man. I love that. And uh, I'm like, Lord, how are you going to up that one when I get back? Amen. And uh, Gospel is about as good as it gets. But anyways, um, during the year of 2010, it was a year of transition for I and my family. We were going to go to another island and start a new church and on uh, deputation, you know, we weren't going to plant the flag and stay there, you know, bury my heart in the mission field type stuff. And But during 2010, God just began to stir our hearts that he did not want us to go to this next area to start this next church. I'm like, God, if you don't want us to go to this next area, what do you want us to do? And the message I was getting was, Dave, you need to go home. I'm like, home? Like, the state's home? And, and I'm like, no, that can't be. You know, we've told everybody we're going to stay here. This is where God wants us, and you're telling us we want to go home. And so, man, I struggled several months in 2010, you know, battling with that and trying to get the church ready. Because either way, the church was going to be handed off to Brother Gospel, and they were ready to fly on their own. And uh, so I called my pastor and began to pray with him about it. And it just seems like the more we prayed, the more God was saying, you need to go home. And so I called several of my preacher friends and I called one of them and he said, Dave, it's an amazing thing. He goes, our church has been praying for months that you would resign from the Philippines and come here and be co-pastor. And in a year I'm retiring and the church will be yours. I'm like, wow. I mean, that's. I didn't tell anybody. You hear, you hear stories like that, but nothing like that ever happens to you. And I'm like, wow. And so, long story short, we made preparations to do exactly that. And, uh, man, it's amazing how much stuff you accumulate in nine years of marriage. <laughs> uh, my goodness. Can I tell you, we probably had the first garage sale in the Philippines. <laughs> you cannot believe. I mean, I know they're poor, but you cannot believe how much money I made, man. Because they were American. I, we were American. They were willing to pay top dollar. So we're selling air conditioners, beds. My kids are crying. Their toys are being sold. I'm like, shut up. We're making money, man. And, <laughs> and uh, selling everything. Rented a house, sight unseen on Craigslist back in the States. And uh, my point is the train is leaving the station. All we have to do is just get on. Are you, are you with me? And uh, so I'm really confident this is what God wants us to do. And about two weeks before we get ready to leave, the pastor of that church called me. And, and he said, Brother Ferris, he said, uh, great news. There's another church uh, struggling and we have decided to merge together. So it's going to be me, you, and this other guy that I had never met before. And um, I'm like, man, I, I just felt kind of uncomfortable because that's not what we had originally agreed to. Are you with me? And, and I was like, you know, ain't doctrine kind of important, yes or no? And I was like, you know, are we on the same page as far as doctrine? And, and so long story short, we leave and we get there. And um, we weren't there very long, and we encountered a major doctrinal issue with the guy they merged with. And it was one of those things where I am not going to be able to be co-pastor of this church. And I'm like, man, we just, I mean, we just moved 10,000 miles. I have written all my churches. And when you let churches know you're coming back, that support drops faster than a hot rock. I'm going to tell you, boom, gone. And so... I, and I'm like, man, I gotta find, I gotta find a job, and uh, and so we start looking for work, 
And uh, we're up in the Boeing area, and Boeing at this time is hiring like crazy. I mean, they're hiring everybody. Can I tell you something about Boeing you don't know? Boeing has zero use for former missionaries to the Philippines. <laughs> no use whatsoever. I mean, I, I begged them and begged them and begged them, and uh, they would... They had no openings at all, and I'm like, man, and I'm looking everywhere for a job and cannot find anything. You ever hear these stories how, man, we were so poor, we were living on rice and beans? You ever hear those kind of stories? We were looking for the rice and beans. I, you know, I'm young, but I've been there. And so finally, one day, uh, there was an ad in the newspaper. This company needed a driver to deliver plumbing supplies. And I said, I know I'm not very smart, but surely I am qualified to deliver plumbing supplies. So I went down there and got an interview, and the uh, the guy that runs the company there used to play for the University of Washington. His name's Mike, a big old guy, and Mike's looking at my resume, and, and he's like, I, I can't. You're, you're a preacher? I'm like, yes, I'm a preacher. He goes, I, I can't hire you. <laughs> and I'm like, you can't. Now, listen, every church I go to, there is one of these in here, so please don't be offended. This is what Mike said, not what Brother Dave said, okay? And so when you're considering who you're going to support for missions, please don't hold this next statement against me. Mike said, I can't hire you. I said, why? He said, because plumbers are the nastiest people on the face of the earth. He goes, all of these guys that come in here, they cuss. They drink. He goes, they're all on drugs. He goes, I would feel terrible about putting a preacher with all of these plumbers. <laughs> I'm like, that's why you won't hire me? He's like, yes. And I got out my prayer card that we had at the time. And I got on my knees. And I said, do you see these kids? <laughs> I said, these kids don't care about those plumbers. I said, now apparently they need Jesus. I can help them with that. I said, but these kids need to eat. I said, I need this job. Please give, I'm begging you, Pastor, for $10 an hour. Please give me this job. And he's like, can you drive a truck? I'm like, yes, I can drive a truck. He goes, can you drive a stick? I'm like, no problem. And he said, man, I've never had anybody get on their knees. He goes, the job is yours. I'm like, praise the Lord. Now, we're laughing, but can I tell you something? The day that church didn't work out for us, I'm thinking, first thing I'm thinking, did I miss God in this? Say, what happened that day? Beep, beep, beep. I'm backing into the cave. Bills are coming due. No money. I'm feeling pretty overwhelmed. Are you with me? begging for $10 an hour. Anyways, we get out. He's showing me the warehouse and we go outside. And, and honestly, when he said truck in my mind, I'm thinking like Ford F-150. <laughs> and we get out to the yard and that truck didn't say Ford F-150. It said Peter Built. <laughs> he said, can you drive that? You're probably never going to support it. I lie. I said, yep, sure can. <laughs> The first day I'm driving that truck, he's like on the radio, I thought you said you could drive stick. I'm like, well, that gear pattern's a little bit different from the Philippines. I'll get the hang of it, you know. Very, 
You can call him up and ask him. I'm not embellishing this at all. Very first day of the job, I'm up in Marysville, Washington, at a housing development. And I'm backing the truck up. Beep, beep, beep. And I see this pickup on the side. And I said, man, I'm, I'm getting kind of close. I need to readjust. And I didn't know this. Nobody ever told me. But those big trucks, you know, when you turn the wheel way this way, that rear end of the truck goes way over here. And all of a sudden I hear, <laughs> and I look in my mirror, and there's four Mexican men looking at me going, man, I'm like, oh, no. I call my boss on the radio. I tell him what happens. He is screaming. I'm 40 years old. He's screaming at me like I'm a kid. In the 40 years of this company's history, we've never had an idiot get into an accident on the very first day of the job. Get their information and get back here right now. I'm thinking, man, what am I going to tell my wife? Well, my kids are going to think I'm a loser. I lose my job on the first day. Really? I get back to the to headquarters there and give him the information and he's man he's human and he's like you're a preacher I'm like, yeah I'm one I can't drive but I'm a preacher <laughs> he said if you're a preacher I have a question I said okay what are you doing hitting Jesus's truck the only thing that saved my job was the Mexican man's name was Jesus and my boss thought that was so funny. He let me keep my job. <laughs> now you're laughing, but inside I'm all twisted up, and I am sick to my stomach. A week later, I took out this dude's mailbox. I never told my boss about that. I just left a note on the door. I will be back after work. I'll go to Lowe's, and I'll put your new mailbox up. That's what I did. So I started driving that truck month after month after month. It... How many enjoy toilets? Toilets are important, amen? <laughs> One day in Seattle, I'm delivering a load of Sloan toilets, and I'm thinking, Lord, a year ago, I'm preaching the gospel to Filipinos, and now you've got me delivering toilets. Now, we're laughing, but this is an accusatory manner to God. You say, what happened? I'm in the cave, and not only have I taken the glasses off, I've stomped all over them. And I'm trying to find my way out. This does not make sense. God, what are you doing? Have you ever been there? Overwhelmed, trapped, and certainly felt like nobody cared. Meanwhile, Pastor, we would see Filipinos out and about, and it was breaking my heart. I was driving my wife crazy. I mean, all the people had to have was light brown skin. I was finding out whether they're Filipinos or not. I'm just like, Lord, I, I called a couple pastor friends of mine. Oh, Dave, you don't understand. This is this is all you know. This is why you feel like the way you feel, and you'll get over this. And that feeling of wanting to be there just never went away. And I'm like, dear God, I know, I know you told me to come home. And since we've been home, everything has fallen apart. And, but my heart is in the Philippines, and my body is here. God, what are you doing? And then I made a phone call I didn't want to make. I had to call my pastor. 
Bill Miller of our Sandy Church. I thought, man, he's going to say I'm an idiot, dummy, what, what were you thinking? Can I tell you what? God gives us men in our lives like pa our pastors to help us in those times when we're in the cave and we've taken our glasses off to help us to trust God and see our way back out. Are you with me? Man, use what God has given you. Take advantage of him being here. Call them up and, man, he said, Brother Dave, I love you. And let's just start praying about this. And he said, can I ask you a question? Why what is stopping you from making the decision to go back to the Philippines? I said, there's two things. When it didn't work out with that pastor, he, the pastor asked me a question of that church. Why would God bring you 10,000 miles and have you walk out and die? I'm like, that's a good question. I said, but I don't know. I said, pastor, that question that man asked me is just burning my heart. This doesn't make sense. He was what else is about? And he said, Dave, that's lack of faith. Praise God for a shoot, straight shooter. Amen. He goes, what else is bothering you? I said, Pastor, I have just told all of our supporting pastors, God wants us to come home. Now I'm going to turn around a year later and say, God wants me to go back. I said, it looks bad. He goes, that's pride. Yeah, yeah you're right. He goes, let's just start praying about it. And whatever God tells you to do, Dave, you need to be willing to do it. And begin to pray. And it'd be four years, I guess maybe three years ago in April, I finally got to the place with God where I was willing to put those glasses of faith back on. I said, God, I don't know why. I know you told me to come home. I said, but if I'm going to have egg on my face with pastors, I guess I'm just going to have to have egg on my face with pastors. And God, if you don't want to tell me why you brought us home 10,000 miles, God, I'm okay with that. I'm willing just to trust you now. Well, during the time of being home, I, I've always been a big guy, but I had put on, I mean, a ton of weight. I'm almost at my heaviest, about 350 pounds. And can I tell you, deputation is not the place where you lose weight. It just does not happen. <laughs> and uh, I thought, you know, before I go in there, and I'm feeling tired and sluggish all the time, and I'm like, you know, this is not me. Maybe my blood pressure is off or something like that. So I said, I'm going to schedule an appointment before we go and start re-raising our support. So I made an appointment with a doctor and leading up to my appointment, I had a sore throat and I was rubbing my neck and I felt a little lump on my neck. I had a friend that used to, they call them ganglias. How many know what a ganglia is? It's like a bump on your wrist. He would have uh, the staff take the Encyclopedia Britannica and smash those ganglias and they would dissipate. So I thought, well, maybe it's a ganglia. So I was punching myself for a couple of days and it wasn't going away, you know? And you know how us men are. If we ignore it long enough, it will go away. Amen? The appointment came with the doctor and blood pressure and all those things surprisingly checked out okay. Cholesterol a little bit high. He says, is there anything else I can do for you? And I'm like, yeah, you know, I found this lump on my neck. And he felt it. And he goes, I think you just have a, a cyst. And so he goes, let's get a CAT scan on it. So they CAT scanned it. And he called me back. And he said, uh, we need to do a biopsy. They did a needle biopsy, inconclusive. So about a month later, they scheduled me for surgery. And when they cut open my neck, a tumor come out about the size of a sausage. And come to find out, I had three tumors in my neck. I've been having terrible chest pain. I thought it was my heart. I had a tumor growing behind my heart. 
And the day I, the day I met with the oncologist, it was a great day. She's a Chinese lady. And I remember she telling me, you need to get a PET scan. I said, okay, what time do you want my poodle here? She, and about after 30 seconds, ho, 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 you ain't no money. And uh, she goes, well, you need to have a PET scan. And so I went and had the PET scan. And so the day I met with her about the PET scan, she says, can I tell you something? I talked to her about being a missionary in the Philippines, and she said this. She goes, I need to tell you something. She goes, if you had stayed where you were in the Philippines and not come home, this would have killed you in a year. See, I'm in this cave. Can I tell you what? Caves are for protection sometimes. I feel overwhelmed. I feel like God is nowhere around. I feel like all have forsaken me. I feel trapped. And what I forgot for a while in the cave was God is our refuge and he will deal bountifully with us. Remember that church that didn't work out for me? That church put me 23 miles from the leading oncologist in the Seattle area for my cancer. Remember that job I was telling you about? God, why did he got me delivering toilets? I used to be a preacher. Complaining? That job gave me insurance that paid for the chemo that I didn't have on the field. And then when Providence Hospital and Everett Clinic found out I was a missionary, the remaining $30,000, they wiped off the bill. See, I'm complaining, but the whole time God was being my refuge, God was dealing bountifully with me. He was all the time orchestrating things on on my behalf. And tonight, you may find yourself in a cave. Maybe you think it's unfair. Maybe you think you're trapped. You feel like there's nobody that cares. Can I tell you something? Even if it was true, nobody cares. God really, really does care. And God will deal bountifully with you. Went through the chemo, lost all my hair. Man, I'm an ugly bald guy. I'll tell you that right now. (laughs) I know I'm ugly now, worse. <laughs> the day came where I had to meet with the oncologist to find out, you know, and I'm, and I'm fearful. I'm not fearful about the cancer. I'm, I'm fearful, you know, that, 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 that um, chemo kills your immunity, and there's a lot of stuff floating around in the Philippines, and I was afraid they're going to say, you know, because your immunity is so low, you can't go back. And when I met with her, she goes, it's an amazing thing. It looks like you've never even had chemo. Your immunity is totally normal. If you can come see me twice a year, you can go back to the Philippines if you want to. And can I tell you something? On our banner, we have homework on. I want to go back more than ever. Say, why is that, Brother Dave? I want to be involved in missions. Because we have a God who really does care. And how can we accept all that care that God gives us and just turn our back and say, you know, thanks. Now, I, I want to do more than that. How about you? Amen. Amen. You might be in that cave tonight. You might be struggling. You might feel trapped. You might feel like nobody cares. But may I say this to you tonight? God really, really does care about you. Pastor.
Well, how many tonight had a tear running down your cheek? And how many of us tonight have gone through those times when there's those caves? And we look back at it, and when you're in those caves, they're very real, aren't they, to all of us? God, as I said this morning, uh, a man worth his salt will go through those times in their lives. Sometimes your friends will forsake you because they think you've got leprosy or something. But there's a God who will never leave us nor forsake us. Both this morning and tonight, we heard the reality and people telling us the truth about what goes on sometimes behind the scenes. And sometimes we see people standing up, we think everything's going just hunky-dory and they've never had any problems in their lives. But to all of us, there's a God who loves us. Amen to that. Thank you, brother, for that tonight. Why don't we just bow our heads for a moment? I know the hour is late. But maybe tonight there is some folk. I, I tell you what, I tell you what. Father, you just direct us tonight. And that you would, uh, I think all of us have been challenged and, and the reality and our hearts go out. And I would hope that each of us tonight would say, you know, sometimes we get so caught up with what's going on in our lives that we fail to realize what's going on in somebody else's life. Maybe you'll work in our hearts tonight that, that Lord, that we'll be that kind of brother that will come alongside someone else that's struggling and encourage them on their journey. I pray that, Lord, that you will do just a, a mighty work now. Uh, thank you that you sent your son to be our Savior. And thank you for the story and a real true life. And, Lord, when I was just uh, reading uh, yesterday in, in the magazine that uh, the name of David is the most used name in the entire Bible. And to think about that it is used even more than Jesus' name. And so much of the Old Testament is devoted to David. And, and uh, so much of his life is, is devoted uh, in the Chronicles and the Kings and the Samuels uh, about what took place in his life. And here are some real situations. And here's a man who's a man after your own heart. And yet we can think of all the things that uh, were a part of David's life. And yet you uh, were his God. And Lord, you're our God. And so help us tonight. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. I wonder tonight, how many of you, maybe even right now, you feel like you're in that cave? Maybe that's where you are. Would you slip your hand up? And for wherever and for whatever reason, as I look around, I see folks that are just wanting to get their life back spiritually. Thank you. I see a man who's worked over 30 years at a job and was just fired this past week. I see people who are battling cancer. You know, Brother Rankin, you talked about this week about our prayers, and we had an all-day prayer time. And when those names jump off the list that we pray, sometimes on a routine basis, or even our missionaries, we say, these are real people. These are real needs. May God give us a heart for each other. So, Lord, you saw the hands. And I believe that uh, you have a special plan for each one. And sometimes, Lord, we, we interpret what's going on in our lives 
as if you don't love us. And yet you're using this very aspect of our lives to show us how much you do love us. Thank you, Father, for sending Jesus Christ to be our Savior. We're going to thank you for it. And to each one that raised their hands tonight, I pray that you'll help them in a great way. And help us as a church to come alongside our brothers because that is godly, to be a paraclete, to be an encourager. So, Father, in this missions conference, I, I can't help but think of why the devil's been working so hard these last few weeks in our lives. It's because of the great victories and the great things that you're going to do this week. Now challenge us, Father, and Lord, help us to go home and chew on these things. We'll praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing 426, God will take care of you. Aren't you glad for that? Really are. And uh, I was talking with, I think, Diane this morning, wasn't it, Diane? I was saying, you know, the message that we heard this morning, boy, that was good messages, weren't they? Sunday schools, all the Sunday schools and tonight's message. We can't just take it in what we hear here. We've got to take it home and we need to meditate on what God wants us to do with what we've heard. So I want to encourage you that. Let's stand together. Those that uh, we can be praying for one another, be not dismayed. tomorrow night. If you haven't signed up for the pie or the breakfast uh, deal, uh, go make sure you do that. Shake hands with folks. At least Shake hands with at least 10 folks before you leave and then come back tomorrow night. All right? You're dismissed.